Well, for those of you who have been um, with us for the last uh, couple of weeks as we begin this fall season, uh, you know that we've been talking about um, what we call um, core values, and it comes out of this fact, and that is that, that every church is different. There are no two churches that are exactly alike. I mean, you can even have churches from the, the same denomination, the same persuasion, and the two are very different. If you go north on New York Road, you don't have to go very far, and you come to the Visitation Catholic Church, right? And you go another mile, and you come to Immaculate Conception Church. Both Catholic parishes, I know people in both of those parishes, they would tell you that they're very different. Of course, the people from one always tell you that they're better than the one from the other, but that makes them like us, so that's the way it works. Um, but every church is different, regardless of the denomination, the persuasion, they may be all the same, but every church is unique and different. And it's, and it's the same reason that you and I are different. It's in our DNA. It starts at the very beginning. Uh, when a church begins, it begins in a particular neighborhood, or begins for a particular reason, or it has a particular vision, or it has something that it's centered upon, and that makes that church unique and for that culture of people, and it sets the tone for the rest of the ministry. And core values are, ministry, are, are values that you can trace back to the very beginning of a church, all the way through to the present, that never seem to change and that are always important. Um, we've covered two already. One of our core values is the whole idea of attraction, attracting people to Christ through the ministries of this church. Secondly, we have placed a high value on children in this ministry. It's all about kids, a lot of what we do. And then today we're going to focus on another uh, one of our core values um, that we refer to as generosity. Uh, and that has its core and its foundation, as all of our values do, uh, in the foundation of Scripture. I'm going to share with you um, a story from First Chronicles of Old Testament. Uh, chapter 29, um, the first nine verses, which is a story about King David um, and, and kind of his foundation for generosity, his spirit of generosity. So then King David said to the whole assembly, the whole nation, my son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. With all my resources I have provided for the temple of my God. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give of my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God, over and above everything I provided for this holy temple. Now, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord and David the king also rejoiced greatly. Now David had every reason to be disappointed and not to be celebrating. He had every reason to be stingy and not generous. You see, he had been king of Israel for many years. He had led Israel to a prominence that no one ever imagined that they could ever have. They were at the pinnacle of the, their success. They were the most powerful nation in the world at the time. Uh, no one wanted to mess with Israel or King David militarily, economically, or in any other way. And as kind of a, a crowning um, monument to his ministry and to his leadership, he thought, wouldn't it be great if we built this magnificent temple in Jerusalem that would house the uh, Ark of the Covenant? People could come there and worship God. All the Jews from around the world would show up there. That would be a wonderful thing for us to do. And so David wanted to build this palatial suite for the Lord. It would be a wonderful thing. Great idea. Except that God said no. 
Oh, no, there's going to be a temple. In fact, you have all of the plans. You've got the location chosen. You know exactly how it's going to be built. It's all drawn up. It's going to happen. But your son is going to do it and not you. Your son Solomon, whom David ironically or perhaps cynically describes as young and inexperienced. And David's attitude could have been, well, yeah, if you think he can pull this off, go ahead. Let him try it. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's young and inexperienced. He's not going to be able to raise the money to do this. I'm the king right now. So let him go ahead and do it on his own. Which is the attitude that someone would have who is disappointed in not being able to realize their own vision and their own dream. But David took an entirely different tact. I mean, he led the way by inspiring people to give generously out of his own generosity, out of his own example. The task is great, David said, because this palatial structure is not for man but for the Lord. It isn't about David's ego bruise of not being able to do it himself. It isn't about, well, see if my son can do it on his own. It's God's temple. It needs to be built. It's for God's people. I'm going to lead the way and see if it can be done, even if I'm not the one who brings it to fruition. David held nothing back. And he gave from the resources that were available to him as king out of the royal treasury, as we might call it. And then he said, besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give of my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God. Over and above everything that I provided for this holy temple, I'm going to dig into my own bank account. I'm going to give out of that as well. David was demonstrating here early on this thing that we call a spirit of generosity. He held nothing back. And generosity is one of our core values. It was planted in the life and the DNA of this church from the very beginning of time. And if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you've seen how we've gone back to the humble beginning of this congregation. Not in Elmhurst, but back in Bellwood, where Catherine Tessman began this ministry as, as the Bellwood Gospel Chapel. And from the very beginning, there were these core values that were planted. Attraction, bringing people in to know Jesus. Children, it was about the kids in the neighborhood. And then this whole idea of generosity. It started with her. And as we have in the past couple of weeks, we had just a little vignette. So uh, pay attention to the screens and listen carefully to the story of Mrs. Tessman and the beginning of this ministry. It wasn't easy to hang that sign. After all, what would the neighbors think of a church pastored by a scandalous woman starting in our house? But when God called me to preach the gospel to the people of my neighborhood, he also called me and my husband, Albert, to be generous with all our gifts. Sharing the good news also meant opening our home to our community. It meant messes and noise. It meant giving up more time and sharing more resources than I thought we had. And yet, when you see what Jesus can do with the messes of life, how he can use a scandalous, cast-aside woman like myself to share his love, it's not hard to trust him with everything else he's given us. See, the Tessmans echoed David's spirit of generosity. I mean, they weren't royalty by any stretch of the imagination, but they gave what they had. I mean, they had a place, they had a home in which they lived. They altered their home structure so it could become a worship center to accommodate what was a fledgling church. They invited in strangers into their home as acts of generosity. Hospitality is an act of generosity. Adults and children also came. 
They gave up their privacy. They gave up their sense of ownership. They gave up their own money only to serve God. And that spirit of generosity continues to flourish at Elmer's Christian Reformed Church. I mean, we are a people that are known for our generosity. We have a much uh, better facility than Mrs. Tessman had, this big, beautiful building, which we could say, well, this is our building. We built this with our money. Everybody else kind of stay on the outside. And if you want to come in, that would be great, but only come in on Sunday mornings. But we view this facility more as a service station than as a shrine. It's used all the time by all sorts of different groups so people in the community can have a place to meet. We feel blessed and honored to be able to have it, and you want to share your blessings with others. In fact, this week, if you were to come here on Thursday or Friday, this place will be packed. You won't be able to get into any of the rooms. You won't be able to get into the sanctuary because there will be an entire Hispanic population here celebrating at a conference. Uh, The worship is awesome. I don't understand a word they're singing, but I like to be in here just to kind of... These people know how to worship, man. Um... And so it's just filled with the spirit of the Lord and the teaching and everything that's going on. And they are so grateful for a facility, for the generosity of Elmer's Church to allow them to have their conference here. And it happens all the time. When a need exists in the world and we express it to our congregation for a special offering or anything that's needed, people contribute. A phrase that you'll often hear around here if you listen to the people is if there's a need in the world, the people at Elmer's Christian Reform will step up and try to fill it because we are a generous people. But how do you, you know, describe David's generosity? What's the foundation for all this? How do you explain it? How do you understand someone who is so disappointed in his own vision, not being realized by his own power and might, Leading the charge in his own personal example. I mean, it's all very strange. I mean, you know, I served on a college board for 24 years. It was a great experience. But also, you know, you build buildings, you have fundraisers and all this other stuff. It's all part of the deal. And there were experiences where there were people who had pledged money to a particular cause at the college who decided that, oh, I don't think I'm going to do that now because the president said this or a professor did that or I don't like the people you have on your board or whatever. But there were strings attached. It wasn't generosity. The same thing happens in churches. I mean, if someone is rankled about something that they don't like in a church, oftentimes they withhold their funding. Well, I'm not going to support that because, I mean, you know, Rev has a pink tie on. I'm not supporting that. Whatever the case might be. But, but the, the idea is, is that this isn't our ministry. This isn't my ministry. This isn't your ministry. This is God. You're giving to God's ministry. and God. So whether we, if we like it or don't like it, I mean, there's something that we all don't like. But God still calls us to be a generous people. And what's the foundation for that kind of generosity? Well, in verses 14 through 19, what is labeled as a prayer of David gives us the idea of the foundation for that kind of generosity. David prays, but who am I? And who are my people that that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we've given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all of our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope, Lord our God. All this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand. And all of it really belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and you're pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. 
Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. So this spirit of generosity that David demonstrates has its foundation in this very simple phrase. Everything belongs to God and everything comes from God. David was a shepherd. He remembers when Samuel came to him and tapped him on the shoulder when he was out in the middle of the field all by himself, the youngest son of Jesse, who, who, who Samuel came and said, you're going to be king of Israel. I, what? I'm going to be king of Israel? I'm a shepherd. I'm taking care of my, my father's flocks. Somehow he got this internship working in the king's courts playing music for King Saul. He was surrounded by royalty. He could listen in on military planning. He learned what it meant to, to govern a nation. He made best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. And then, only out of God's generosity, David became a strong military leader. It began with him taking on a giant that no one else in Israel would fight and defeating Goliath. And that began a military career that was unexplainable except by the gift of God. How does someone with no training lead a military to victory time after time after time after time again to the point where King Saul became jealous of all the victories that David was winning? And then Saul wanted to kill David because he felt threatened. And God shepherded him to be able to hide from him at all times until Saul finally died. And David became king. You see, he knew that everything he had and everything he was came from God. And the only response was generosity. Now, Mrs. Testman had experienced exactly the same thing, the incredible gift of God's grace. A woman who had lived an immoral life was claimed by God, and her life was completely transformed by his love. And she couldn't stop herself from sharing that with others. It wasn't her house that she was opening up. It was God's house that she was opening up. It wasn't her time that she was giving. It was God's time that she was giving. It wasn't her money that she was spending. It was God's money that she was spending. She only had any of those things because God had blessed her life. And so she was living out this prayer of David. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand. And all of it is a blessing to you. You see, the generosity of Christian people is at the foundation of even our nation. You know, think about the names of the hospitals that you know, right? Good Samaritan. St. Luke's, the Red Cross, the Salvation Army, all of these organizations that are compassionate to come to people's aid when they're in need are the generosity, a response. God gave us these gifts. It's our responsibility to take care of people around the world. So even though a lot of the funding for the Red Cross comes from Americans, we're willing to go almost anywhere when a crisis strikes. See, our generosity is based on God's generosity to us. I mean, it's all summed up in, in probably the most familiar passage of Scripture to anyone, Christian or non-Christian, right? John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world, he gave. God gave. God loves everybody so much that he gave. He gave the highest gift that you could ever give. He gave the most costly thing he could give, and that was the life of his own son. God so loved the world that he gave The foundation for our generosity is God's generosity. 
And this kind of generosity is all-inclusive. I mean, you could look at David's situation kind of cynically and you say, well, it's easy for David to give. He was king. You know, he had all that royal money behind him and all the jewels and everything. He had a big storehouse with all that stuff in it as part of the king's money. And then because he was king, he had his own personal stash of cash off on the side that he also could keep. It was easy for him to give because he was wealthy. But everybody else in Israel gave too. And everybody else in Israel wasn't wealthy. And just because people are wealthy doesn't mean that they lead in giving. Uh, I did some research on this this week, and I was looking at this uh, national organization that kind of uh, measures um, people's charitable giving. And um, those of you who earn between $1.5 million and $2 million a year, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but those people give away 3% of their money every year. And people who, who earn between $45,000 and $50,000 a year give away 4% of their money every year. I mean, wealthy people just don't give it away because they have it. There are a lot of wealthy people who give money away. Don't get me wrong, but they have it to give. But the foundation of giving in the United States of America is founded at some of the lowest levels of, of family income. Certainly Mrs. Tessman couldn't be classified as wealthy, but she gave everything that she had. What else could she do? I mean, God had given him her everything that he had on her behalf. The Apostle Paul um, writes about giving when he writes a letter uh, to the church at Corinth. He, write, he write, wrote two letters, and in the second letter, um, he, he's trying to do a little fundraising. You know, even back in the first century, he had to do fundraising for churches, for people who lived in poverty. And so he was appealing to the people in the, in the church in Corinth to help out another church. And he said, well, you know, um, have you heard about these Macedonians? You know, the Macedonians are in another church, in, in another country, in another place, and and they've given to this ministry. They're funding this cause. And the Apostle Paul says that those people in Macedonia don't have much. In fact, they're in the midst of their own severe trial. They're living in extreme poverty. But they gave generously as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, to help somebody else out because they were so grateful for what God had done in their life. So it wasn't just the wealthy that had this spirit of generosity. It comes from everybody across the board. Now, I, I said a little earlier that Elmer's Christian Reformed Church, as one of its core values, has this spirit of generosity. And it's true that whenever you present a need in this congregation, people will try to fund it. I mean, when um, four or five years ago when I first got here, they were just concluding a Feed My Starving Children drive that this congregation and other congregations in Elmhurst were a part of. And they had truckload after truckload after truckload of food that they sent to people who were in need because of people's spirit of generosity. A couple of years ago, some of you will remember that we presented the idea of providing a well in a town where they had no fresh water supply. And people in our congregation gave $30,000 to make sure that that town had a well for clean and healthy water. Not long ago, we presented a need for those in Haiti for hurricane relief, $10,000. Every year at Thanksgiving, we have a benevolent offering for causes outside of the ministry of Elmer's Tradition Reformed Church. Last year, we collected $40,000. You see, when you present a need in this church, people respond. They, they give money every year when we have our Glimmers of Hope ministry um, to provide for a national, uh, a local, and an international need at Christmas time. People have always responded with fifteen dollars to $20,000 worth of gifts to these people. 
When you present a need, people respond. And so I thought this morning it would be appropriate to present a need to the congregation for which we can respond because there are organizations and ministries that have needs. I'm going to tell you about a ministry that does have a financial need. It's a ministry that will resonate with your heart. It's a ministry that struggles financially every single year. It's a ministry that currently is operating at a deficit. And it's a ministry that needs our response as a congregation. And that ministry is the ministry of Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church, our Elmhurst Ministry Fund. Now, many of you are appalled right now that the pastor would actually mention that. And certainly that can't be true. But if you look in your bulletin insert today and you look behind at the last page that is there, you will take note of the fact that we are currently $200,000 behind budget. And I know what some of you are saying. Oh, that's always the case. Well, yes, that is always the case. And then you're probably going, well, but we always make it up in the year. Well, that's wrong. We don't always make it up at the end of the year. Last year we didn't make it up and we had to cut the budget to a point where we operate by very thin margins. You know, it's easy for us to respond to needs that are across the world and sometimes to forget about taking care of ourselves and our own ministry here. We're about $200,000. We need to close that gap between now and then. You know, it's hard for people in the pews to kind of imagine, but, you know, during the Christmas season when we're getting all excited about Christmas and everything is going on, you know, I love Christmas. I love the Christmas season. I love to get excited about Christmas. It's a wonderful time of the year until I go home at night and look at the numbers and kind of go, oh, my goodness, are we going to make it? Is it going to be okay? Are we going to have money at the end of the year? And a lot of people have to give in December because that's they own their own businesses. That's when they know whether bonuses are going to come in or not. I get all of that. But when you're this far behind already in September, October, let's say it is, because it is almost October, are we going to be able to make it up? And then what do you do if you don't? And if you don't present the need to the congregation, how can people respond? I don't think that people read the numbers or understand how difficult it might be for us to make it. I don't know about you, but I like the lights on Sunday morning. Uh, do you like the air conditioning on today? You don't like the air conditioning? Too cold for you? Well, wait till January. We'll cool it off for you by not having anything on. We'll just open the doors in January. It'll be a lot cooler then. We like heat in the winter. We like lights in the darkness. We like to have Bible studies that take place. We like to have children's ministry all the time. We love, that. we love everything that we do. I'm excited about our ministry. We're off to a great fall start. Lots of things are going on. People are responding like crazy. It's a great cause. We're changing people's lives, and we are being shining light and living water. And we shouldn't have to worry about money. It's out there, but for whatever reason, we're not sharing it. So I would like to issue a little bit of a challenge, and I believe in specifics. If I'm not smart enough to do that. So one of my friends, well, I'm not smart enough, period. But one of the things that, that you know about me is that I say that subtlety is overrated. So this is all philosophical, right? So I'll give you some very specifics. We figured this out. If everybody in their church gave one more percent than you planned to give in 2015, we'll make up the gap. I mean, wouldn't it be great to begin December by going, you know what, we don't have to worry about making up everything we're behind because we've already caught up. If you give one more percent, so if you give 5% of your income to the church, that means you'd give 6%. It's, this is easy math, okay? If you give 8%, you'd give 9%. We're, you know, don't you all, all want to be part of the one percenters? It's a different kind of one percent. It would be great to be able to close this gap and not to have to go in December worrying about what we're going to do or not do and trying to budget without enough money. Everybody can do something, and we need everybody to do something. 
I mean, certainly all of us share this foundation of generosity. Everything that we have and everything we are is a gift from God. I mean, sometimes I, well, no, almost every day I have to pinch myself. I mean, I grew up in a very blue-collar home. I'm the only one in my immediate family that went to college uh, in my generation. I don't know. I, it's God's generosity. I ended up at Hope College. Who knows how I ever got there? God's generosity. I, I've always had responsibilities in ministry that have been generous to me, and people have been generous. This is a great place. I make plenty of money. That's not the problem. The problem is what are we doing about giving the money? I mean, I'm grateful for the fact that I got to go to college, not because of the great education I got, but I'm, I met my wife at college. <laughs> That's the greatest gift I ever received. So we were talking about this at our house this week, and we were saying, okay, actually this morning even, we'll do our 1%. But the 1%'s got to come from somewhere, right? Everybody has a budget. Where are we going to get an extra 1%? Well, I could take a second job. I already have a microphone. I could do, you know, like the takeout window at Burger King or something. Or you can cut expenses, right? So I'm proposing ideas about cutting expenses. I mean, this is a discussion everybody gets to have at home, right? We could not go out to eat as often, and Becky could cook more. You know, she could cut back on her quilting, and we could save more money that way. We could cut back on Christmas presents, especially to her and the kids, and that would work out better for us. And then she came up with this crazy idea. Well, we could cut back on golf fees. <laughs> yeah, she's got a lot of ideas. <laughs> That's what we all get to do, right? We all got to figure out, well, if I'm going to give one more percent, it's got to come from somewhere. It's got to come from somewhere. For God so loved the world... He gave. And David said, Now, who is willing to consecrate themselves today? Amen? Let's pray together. We could sit here for the rest of the day and end of the evening and probably until tomorrow and maybe even until the middle of the week and cite all of the reasons that we have to be grateful for your amazing grace and generosity. And so, O oh Lord, we give you thanks. We thank you for the generate spirit of this congregation. We thank you for our ability to give. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you continue to have that spirit within us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So in changing our order of worship, this is a time when we present our tithes and our offerings. And oftentimes when Greg and I will introduce this, we say something almost every week, which means you probably don't pay any attention after a while. And that is we encourage you to be generous givers as God has been generous to us. The foundation of that generosity is what we've talked about this morning. So let us continue to worship with our tithes and our offerings.